The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, the Amber Geiger trial is over, but the controversy most certainly is not. The length of her sentence, the brother's forgiveness, and the judge's reaction all had the nation talking. And then a key witness in the trial was murdered, and his family's attorney wants answers. We'll break it down and then take you into the trial involving the murder of a Florida State law professor. A murder for hire case with more twists and turns than a roller coaster. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan and Seema Iyer. Welcome to the Core TV Podcast, Episode 7. I'm Seema Iyer. You're Vinnie Politan. What's up? Yes, I am. I'm in a, a wonderful mood for this podcast, and, and, and really, it's the aftermath of what we experienced inside the courtroom in Dallas, Texas. Well, I'm glad you're in a wonderful mood yes. because we have a myriad of topics to talk about with Geiger. And I want to say for our listeners, you are generally always in a good mood. You really are a pleasure to work with. Why, thank you. Because I am not. I'm <laughs> usually in a bad mood. <laughs> that is true. I, I, I cannot tell a lie on the podcast. I cannot. You, you, you know, here's Amber Geiger. The trial was so huge, and we were like, this is a big trial. This is an important trial. Then it was time for the sentencing, and she gets 10 years, and we're like, this is a huge story. And then what happened after that, from my perspective, blows away everything else. It in really this did. God was in the courtroom, and it was glorious. It was, it was historic. Absolutely it glorious. was momentous. It was glorious. I agree. It, uh, and, and what we're talking about is, and everyone has seen the, the hug heard around the world, Brant Jean, who was the younger brother of the victim who was shot and killed by the former Dallas cop, Amber Geiger, who was sentenced to 10 years, then gives a victim impact statement and asks the judge for permission to hug his brother's killer. It was beyond jaw-dropping. We were just fascinated and glued to the screen. And she said yes. Yes. He had to say please. And he's only 18 years old. But in that moment, what he did, it, it, it blew my mind on many different levels. And for me, I looked at it and I was like, I can't believe it's happening, number one. But I'm so glad it is happening. Because two things. One, it is helping this young man. Yes. It, yes. Through a tremendous loss. Sure. Number two, maybe, just maybe, he is helping this convicted murderer prepare for the rest of her life when she gets out of prison. She's going to do 10 years or less. Right, but it really made her the luckiest person in the world. And I don't know if she deserved all that forgiveness and love. It is a controversial hug. Uh, people feel differently about it. Not everyone agrees that it was the right thing. I do. Who doesn't it, agree? People that don't I want think, compassion, people that don't want someone who's been I convicted think, of murder, who's returning to society to maybe be inspired to live a better life. Yeah. Those people. There's not everybody agrees that she should be forgiven. And that's just the facts. There are a lot of people who don't agree with what he did. I also want to point out to you that, and this is according to Lee Merritt, that is the lawyer for the Botham Jean family. Uh, we did an interview with him after the hug, the day after. And he said, which confounded him, 
that Brand Jean spoke to him after the hug in court, after Brand Jean got on the stand and said, I don't want you to go to jail. Basically, he said that, right? He, he said those okay, exact words. Wait, then he said to Lee Merritt, I don't think 10 years was long enough of a sentence. That is hard to reconcile. Now, keep in mind, this is an 18 or 19-year-old young man. Sure. And his feelings of forgiveness and his life as a Christian may be separate and apart from his analysis on whether 10 years was enough under the justice system. Absolutely. And, and, and let's take a listen to, to Brand John to get a little flavor for what this 18-year-old young man was saying on the stand. And he comes from a family like both of them, John, we know, sang gospel every morning. This is a very religious family, but this was a young man who, who had an incredible moment and showed incredible compassion. I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. And to me, it's that last line. And the best would be give your life to Christ. This is a convicted murderer who is not going to be in prison for the rest of her life. She's getting out. She's going to be in her late 30s when she gets back okay, out. Okay, but does, she doesn't have to give her life to Christ. She could give her life to Allah. She can give her life to Vishnu and Krishna and the rest of uh, the gods in Hinduism. Uh, uh, you of, know, I under, of course. Okay, I'm just recognizing that, that I think the message, I like the message, that uh, be a God-fearing person and show compassion to others like I am showing compassion to you in this moment. And... Give something back to society, something that was taken away by you when you took I hope them. she will, Vinny. I hope she will because I think of her as the luckiest defendant I have ever seen in my 20-plus years of practicing law. I pray that she will give back. Well, it's up to her. Now, there's, there's other moments that I thought were amazing. It wasn't just Brant Jean, what he did, which was blew my mind, 18 years old. But then the judge, when the case is yes. now over— yeah. Steps down from the bench and spends a whole bunch of time with both of John's family. Right. Exchanging hugs and words and helping them through all of this. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yes. I, a listen, New York judge I, would not do that, by the way. Uh, a judge from New York City would never do that. I'm thinking. Hmm. None. I practiced I in New okay. Jersey. There were I none think, that would do I it there think either. Y- here's... Th- Here's the reason I tend to agree with you. I think New York judges are way too concerned with image. Uh, I think New Yorkers are much more hardened. And this judge was a tough judge the entire trial, but she certainly softened in that moment. Now, I'm going to let you continue with what happened in the court because I do, I, I did appreciate that moment when the judge, and she was uh, standing next to Ms. Long, one of the prosecutors, and she was looking uh, deeply into the eyes of both of John's parents. And they, that was a very special moment, and I thought a very appropriate moment. Yeah, and, and our system can be very harsh, especially for families of victims who are, are tossed into this out of no choice yeah. of their own. And many times there are judges who ignore everyone. And, and anyone who thinks our system 
of law should be about just facts and law, I think is completely misguided because I think justice requires much, much more. And that's something that Judge Kemp showed. Now, she took it one step further, Seema. And, and this was another amazing moment where she goes back into chambers and then returns to the courtroom. Again, the case is over. It's done. And the sentence was not handed down by the judge. It was handed down by the jury, okay? Not the judge, but the jury handed down that sentence of 10 years. She brings out her Bible and reads some passages with Amber Geiger, then gives her the Bible as, as, a, as a token, as an inspiration to uh, spend some time to redeem your life and turn your life around and, and build towards the time that you're going to have when you get out and then gave her a hug. Now, Amber Geiger's lawyers, they told me that Amber Geiger asked for the hug. Yes. And I think it's just important that our listeners know that because, again, the judge, a lot of criticism against this judge. Yeah, by atheists who filed a complaint who aren't even from Texas. Go away. Tell them to go. I mean, if if you are in, if something happens in a judge in your jurisdiction, in your case, go file your complaint. But stay out of stay out of everyone's business here. Their argument was: Did the judge go from compassion to coercion? And they're just trying to point out that Amber Geiger was in a position that she was surrounded by security. She was a quote unquote captive audience, literally a captive audience. So their claim is this was inappropriate and the judge was perhaps forcing her own personal beliefs of Christianity onto Amber Geiger. I do think that argument is uh, rebutted because Amber Geiger asked for the hug after it. Of course. Let the person who is harmed be the one complaining well, about it. Watched, Not these atheists who oh, drop in to make their point. Okay, no. Listen, these they have watch, nothing to do with the case. But these watchdog dog groups, oh, this is their on. job. They have to come do something. On. What are they going to do? They got to get a paycheck. Yeah, it, it, exactly. But so it's from my perspective, around. they're like, they, oh, let's file a complaint against that hugging judge. Yeah, yeah. L let's get rid of the hugging judge who may have turned around a murderer's life who is okay, going but, to oh, get wait, released. Wait, wait, the murderer is coming back to society. Let me tell you something. I would not be pleased with it myself if I had to go into court Monday morning with a Muslim client or any client. I would be concerned with getting a fair uh, proceeding from this judge. I and I was that, okay. Go ahead. What's wrong with your face? What's wrong with my face is you know how I know this judge was extremely fair during this case is that people on both sides were complaining about her. Yeah. Some were saying, "Oh, she's being too lenient to the defendant." Some, "Oh, she's being too harsh." Yeah. The judge is doing her job and did her job incredibly, incredibly well. Showed compassion. And at the end of the day, do we not want a convicted murderer who's coming back to society? Right. And will live in society maybe for decades to be a better person. Yeah, I just don't think it's the judge's job to make that happen. And I also think as a female minority, I don't love that the judge exposed herself personally by showing that display of emotion and compassion. I don't I don't like it. No, uh, well, again, ladies and gentlemen, she is from New York. That's where she practiced. OK. <sighs> I, I think compassion is an important part of our system of justice. Yeah, you're just like a walking, throbbing heart. Okay. Justice. Justice goes beyond. Okay. Now, there's more fallout after this uh, case and, yeah. and, and tragic fallout because one of the key witnesses who testified for the prosecution was murdered 
And um, there are a lot of questions. There aren't a lot of answers yet, but we're going to talk about this tragedy and what it means and whether or not this murder was related to the trial itself next. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. Many of you may remember uh, in the Amber Geiger trial, before all the emotion at the end of the case, the most emotional moment during the trial was when a young man named Joshua Brown former big-time football player in college, was testifying about his neighbor who he had just met, Botham John, and broke down and was crying on the witness stand. And, and the, the jury had to be escorted out, and the judge was uh, impacted by it. And we all were impacted by it. Oh, this we was, all fell in love with this kid. It, it, was, it was a wonderful moment, and it was a very real moment. And, and it demonstrated this witness brought, for the first time in the trial, Botham John to life in that courtroom. You could actually hear both of John singing in the morning. You could picture uh, Joshua Brown walking down the hall or hearing him through the door. And it was just lovely and light. And uh, finally, one of these neighbors, because because there were so many neighbors that testified, but Joshua Brown made such an impact on all of us. And he brought a little more of Botham's story to life. Absolutely did. And to see a, a big guy like that break down with the emotion made it so real what had happened uh, to both of them. And now the ironic tragedy of all of this oh. is as we sit here now, Joshua Brown, that witness for the prosecution, is now a murder victim himself. I, just, I, 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 I When I got the alert, I just sat up in bed and I, I just, I, I cannot even wrap my head around it. This is strange, Vinny, because... The way we cover trials, we almost feel like we know these people yes. and we don't. And we think, oh, I know Joshua Brown and he knows me and we know each other. And so when you see that, you you start feeling like this is someone you know from your everyday life and now they're gone. And this now, this murder made news and repercussions and people are wondering, is there any connection? How does this happen and Lee Merritt, who, who we spoke yes, about, yes. who was the attorney for Botham John's family, is now the attorney for Joshua Brown's family as well. And he's released some statements on, on Twitter about all this. I'm going to read a, a few of them, but okay. I'll start with this one. And he said, Joshua Brown was shot in his mouth and chest. He was exiting his car at his apartment when he was ambushed and shot at close range. His mother asked my office to help find out who murdered her son. She suspects foul play. He had no known enemies. He worked for a living. We need answers. And one of the questions that a lot of people are talking about is whether or not the Dallas Police Department should do the investigation of the murder of Joshua Brown, whether it should be maybe the Texas Rangers or maybe some other law enforcement agency that should look at it in light of the fact of his involvement and, and being a key witness in the Amber Geiger trial. Yeah, I don't see any conflict of interest there. And in fact, I know you know more information about Joshua Brown that'll explain this whole situation, but there's absolutely no conflict. Uh, Joshua Brown was not an alibi witness. He was merely a 
kind of like a procedural fact witness. Yeah, fact uh, witness. Who, yeah, yeah. Who saw and he heard the gunshots. Right. He heard some voices. He knew both. He of them. wasn't a cooperator or anything like that. Like, there's no reason the Dallas PD should not investigate. Well, here's this. the problem. It, it, it's a matter of trust. There's there's uh, members of the yeah. community in Dallas who do who, who still uh, do not trust the Dallas Police Department. And Among them now is Joshua Brown's family, I believe, well, because they want Lee Merritt, a private okay. attorney, right. to find out what happened to her son. Well, there has been a further fracture in trust towards the Dallas Police Department after this. Yeah. And, and it was the way that the case was investigated. Both of John's family still not happy with the way Dallas PD and the Texas Rangers handled the investigation. Um, so there's that level of trust. I want to read another uh, uh, tweet from Lee Merritt uh, because it, it, we go a little bit deeper uh, into, into some of the thinking here. And he tweets, the state knew Joshua Brown didn't want to testify due to concerns for his safety. Right. He fl- I didn't know this. He flew to California when the trial began. Oh. They threatened him with jail if he didn't return because yeah, he was do under that all subpoena. The time though. He went straight from the airport to the court. Dallas County has a duty to protect him. They failed. What do you think of that accusation? This is a guy who did not want to testify. No, now, I know. Let me give a little more of the backstory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because um, Joshua Brown was also the victim of a shooting outside a nightclub last year. He was shot in the foot, and another man was shot and killed. There were suspects who were arrested, so he presumably is a witness in another murder case right. in Dallas. I had no idea. You're the one who told me this. That is huge piece of this puzzle. So uh, maybe... Part of his concern was, okay, someone shot me in the foot. I'm potentially a witness in a murder case, and now I'm going to be in this very public trial. So the, I don't know if the safety concern was testifying against a police officer or if the safety concern was about I'm involved in this other case and now everyone's going to see my face. Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think the safety for him was any public arena he was fearful of. Now, there's also been a lot of, of speculation. The mayor of Dallas has said, please don't speculate. Dallas PD is investigating. But there's been speculation about, okay, was this the police who shot him in the mouth for testifying against a police officer? Uh, and Lee Merritt tweeted oh, about this as well. brutal. Yeah. Well, Lee Merritt tweeted about this. I want to be clear about something, says Lee Merritt. I'm not saying that law enforcement played a role in the murder of Joshua Brown. I'm saying that the possibility of law enforcement involvement cannot be ruled out at this point. I just think that is a rough accusation and lawyers, we're officers of the court. I personally do not want to go there. I understand the process. Right. I understand the prosecutors in this case attacking the investigation. But when you attack police as a whole, I don't know if it's too far. I do think, but, you know, going back to what you mentioned about duty to protect, I think in this circumstance, so normally if you are a witness in, let's say, trial A, and me, the prosecutor, I am giving you a material witness subpoena. And basically it says in the subpoena, if you don't show up, you get to be held in this rinky-dink little jail in the DA's office. That's fine. I think that the duty protect to protect Joshua Brown should have extended to the other trial that he was a witness in because that was the trial that was more uh, dangerous for him to testify in. And now he won't. Um, you know, the other part of this is, I did mention he was shot at his apartment complex. He's moved. It's not the same oh, apartment right, yes. complex Thank where Bolton John yeah. was shot and killed. Yeah, thanks for clarifying After that. that, he moved to another apartment complex. But 
do you believe the fact that and and the fact that he testified so publicly in the Botham John case and made such an impact? Do you think that put him even more on the radar yes. and and put a target on him? Yes, because okay, so the uh, the incident where he was shot in the foot that he was planning to testify, those people must have been emboldened and said, "Wait a minute." This kid thinks he can just go and uh, go to court, and the whole country uh, was watching this trial. It was nationally televised. Court TV is a national network, and I think absolutely whoever had it out for him, they just said no because because okay, if whoever had it out for him thought that he was not going to show up at that trial, well, now they knew he would. At the, at this point, Dallas PD is doing the investigation. They've got to be putting extra resources into this. This is an important investigation. They need to solve well, this. Well, of course, because when, like you said. But there's lots they, of murders that go unsolved. Yeah, they need to is, solve this one. But this, this is one. not, when when he was uh, killed, Joshua Brown, we got, it, it was a national alert. It wasn't like the Dallas newspapers are just covering it. The country is covering it. Absolutely. So do you think, how do you think this plays out? Do you think that Dallas PD can investigate this case, arrest someone, and the public will then trust the outcome in the investigation? No. I think they have what to— What has to happen? They have to get an independent agency. And they did this in Maryland, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, a while ago. So they need to perhaps appoint a special prosecutor and get an outside agency to investigate and do maybe an internal review of the Dallas PD. But something needs to be done. Yeah, and we'll continue to follow this one for you. Absolutely, because it's not over. It's just beginning, the investigation. Next up, we are going to flip the script and talk about the trial that we are covering now, murder for hire, and so much more. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front-row seat to justice. Hey, Vinny, you're married. Let me ask you a question. Do you think having a bad marriage is motive for murder? Yes, absolutely. I've seen it way too many times. In the trials way, that you've covered? In the trials. That, yeah, not at home. No, no, not at home. <laughs> not in my family, no. No, you but, guys are really, like, yeah. adorbs. Oh, thank adorbs. you. Thank you. Yeah. Do you follow us on Instagram? No, <laughs> no I'm not, I'm not we on don't do Instagram. That. We don't do that. But you are but, adorbs. No, it absolutely is. And, and the reason I say that is the emotions are so high. You know, sometimes it's cheating. Sometimes it's just spite. Uh, I've seen it uh, across the gamut. And sometimes mer- someone wants a divorce but doesn't want the shame of divorce. But oh, instead that's good. decides that's to, it. to commit a murder. Yeah. Like okay. Rabbi Fred Newlander did years ago. Oh, okay. Well, that is a good <laughs> – I have no idea what you're talking about. But it was a very good segue to the trial that we're covering now, the law professor murder trial. Okay. Here we go. Right now. On trial is a young lady named Catherine McBanawa and her uh, sometime boyfriend. Baby daddy. Sigfredo Garcia. What do they have to do with the law professor? Practically nothing. This is a murder for hire case. Now, back on July 18th, 2014, law professor Dan Markell 
was gunned down in his driveway. And turned out to be, it was Sigfredo Garcia with his childhood friend, Luis Rivera. And all of this allegedly goes back to Catherine McBanawa for orchestrating the whole thing. So what does this have to do with a bad marriage, you ask? Well, I'm going to tell you. What does this have to do with a bad marriage? Investigators think that this is all about Dan Markell's nasty divorce from Wendy Adelson. Okay? They had a nasty divorce, Wendy Adelson. And you know what, Vinny? It's so sad because the way they met was so, so adorbs as well as you and your wife. They met on J-Date. You know, a lot of, I'm sure you have friends who met on J-Date. Of course. Okay, so. As a matter of fact, and J-Date is for uh, Jewish yes, folks. Our Jewish I used friends. To, I used to DJ back in the day. I had, what? Wait, wait. <laughs> no, when I DJed, one of, one of the gigs I had as a DJ was Jewish Singles Night. <laughs> it was awesome. And it was funny because Woo! I'm in the DJ booth, right? Vinny, and I get my friend, uh, Ronnie Campanella. And he's working the lights for me. And all these, this is before I met my wife, all these young single Jewish ladies who would go to Jewish singles night. Oh, I can't even. Many times sent by their parents to meet a nice Jewish fella. And they liked you instead. And they would hang out with me and my my Italian friend in the DJ booth all night. It was awesome. Anyhow, so I know very well. Okay, so J-Date is how Wendy Adelson met Dan Markell, both brilliant legal minds. So Wendy's also a lawyer. Dan, law professor, he Criminal is a, law. Yes, he, yes, actually. So he was a proponent of something called retributive justice, and it's basically a theory that the crime should equal punishment. He would travel the country uh, talking about this. But they got married. You know, she said, hey, it wasn't like sparks, romance, whatever. But she thought, hey, he's a man. She's going to be a good husband. She wanted to have kids. Uh, they got married, and things really started falling apart as early as the wedding because of her controlling family. Now. Yeah, yeah, well, it it, it can happen. I mean, uh, again, our marriage is blessed. We don't have any of that, never had any of that. But that becomes a real problem when there's, when there's friction between a spouse and in-laws. It, it can get ugly. And the so Dan, he was... Orthodox. It was an Orthodox wedding. And it's funny because Wendy's brother says that their wedding uh, was like an 80s bar mitzvah. It was just so over the top and it was very Orthodox. And then even at the wedding, Dan Markell got mad at the family because um, the meat was touching the milk. Yeah. It's like the meat and well, cheese butter. Being kosher. kosher, right? So, right. The milk so the, and the meat cannot the touch. The problem started early on. No cheese And then finally in 2012, September 10th, 2012, Wendy Adelson leaves Dan Markell with their two kids. And you know, that's brutal, Vinny. Like to not, to just walk out and not give notice. Takes the kids and leaves. They got divorced. And they're in Tallahassee at the time. They're in Tallahassee, thanks. So yeah, they're in Tallahassee. He's an FSU, uh, Florida State University law professor at the time. Uh, Again, both lawyers, they finally get divorced the following year, July of 2013. And now investigators, they say their whole theory of the case is that uh, Wendy Adelson and the parents, Harvey and Donna Adelson, along with the brother Charlie, were determined to have Wendy and the two boys relocate 
to the Miami area. Right, which is a long way away from Tallahassee. Those of you not familiar with Florida geography, Tallahassee is way up north. And, of course, Miami, everybody knows, is way down south. So it's not like you can you make a quick drive and drop the kids off. It just does not work. They're way too far away. And this was, oh, so their divorce, after the divorce, there was just motion, 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 back and forth. Dan was actually drafting some of the motions himself. They both spend, uh, I think, like triple digits in attorneys. There was a motion to relocate. And at one point when uh, the court was denying this motion to relocate, the mom, Wendy Adelson's mom, suggested the family offer Markel a million dollars to allow the children to locate. I mean, they were they were trying everything. They went so far as to uh, Donna suggested to Wendy, we want you to lie and tell him we're going to convert to Catholicism. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it, the picture that's being painted uh, by investigators in this case is that the Adelson family was obsessed and and wanted to get those kids down to South Florida at any cost, whether it's a million dollars or trashing their own religion to raise these kids as Catholics. I mean, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. The extreme measures we're talking about here. I think when I first heard about the case, I assumed Wendy was in on it. I am... I am not so sure. I think she wasn't. Uh, But she did have to testify. She testified with immunity. Let's listen to a clip of Wendy Adelson testifying in the trial. He looked into hiring a hitman, but buying you a TV as a divorce present would be cheaper. He did make that joke. He tended to repeat himself, and sometimes he would make jokes that weren't very funny about all kinds of things. Okay, let me put that in context. Yeah, Okay, yeah. (laughs) So the prosecutor, uh, Georgia Kappelman, is asking Wendy Adelson about uh, when she's saying he looked into hiring a hitman, that was the brother, Charlie. And I really want to kind of unfold the story a little more for our listeners. But so basically, Charlie was joking about hiring a hitman. This is a joke that everyone knew about, everyone talked about. And... uh, Wendy took it as a joke. Now, Wendy's watching her testify. I really think from the evidence that it wasn't she wasn't directly involved. So this is how it basically came out. OK, July, uh, Dan Markell, July 2014, 18th, 2014, found dead. OK, it takes prosecutors, police two years to get any developments. And the developments really came from video footage of a silver pine mica Prius 2008 following Dan Markell from the morning of his uh, death to the incident, the shooting. And then they located that footage. Then they did a cell phone tower dump from the tower dump. They decided, and this is super interesting, so they get all the calls all the cell phone data from around the murder scene. They take all that data and they look at those phone numbers and look if any of those phone numbers called any of the Adelson phone numbers. And they found one number belonging to Sigfredo Garcia that called Harvey Adelson's phone. Now, it could have been Donna, but the point is that was the connection that led to Sigfredo Garcia. Unbelievable police work. Great investigation. Unbelievable police work. So Sigfredo Garcia... He is frequently contacting, uh, you know, in his in his phone, they see that he makes contacts frequently to someone, Luis Rivera. That connects Luis Rivera. And eventually, Luis Rivera testifies at this trial and uh, flips. Okay, 
Sigfredo Garcia also, through his phone and through whatever contacts, they connect him to Catherine McBanawa. McBanawa dating Charlie Adelson. And there you have it. And there's the connection. So, And there's the connection. And, and so the whole theory here is that the Adelson family, and whether it's Charlie or his mother, um, are the ones who actually hire a hitman here. Yes, exactly. What he's joking about. So he's joking about hiring a hitman, but prosecutors saying, well, he actually did it. He actually did it. But he's not charged. He's not charged. And that's the million-dollar question in this case. What all our viewers want to know, what all our listeners want to know, why is it the hitmen on trial and not the people who hired them? That's next. Court TV is everywhere. This is Court TV, your front row seat to justice. With live gavel-to-gavel trial coverage. We'll bring you the most compelling trials across our nation. I am a homicidal maniac. On the air, online, in your pocket. You'll see and hear all the evidence. Can you take the hose and squeeze it? And streaming free on Roku, Fire TV, and Apple TV. The verdict is in. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. So everyone wants to know, in the law professor murder trial, why are only the hitmen being prosecuted right now? The whole theory of this case is that the Adelson family is behind the murder of Dan Markell. So how come, in court, we see someone with the last name Magbanawa, another person with the last name Garcia, a a uh, co-defendant who testified, and his name is Rivera. Now, Where not, are the Adelsons? Right. Well, here, here's, the, here's what I think is going on. They're going after the poor people. And, and, and I say this not because they're, yes. they want to prosecute yes. poor people. Yes. Poor people don't have high-powered, expensive attorneys and high-powered, expensive investigators. And, and I think that it's in—and I'm not saying these lawyers aren't good that are representing these defendants. Yeah, they've been great. They've been great. But the Adelsons will have the best of the best, and Charlie Adelson has the best of the best down in Florida, okay? So I think they are trying to get a conviction here to strengthen their case against the Adelsons because when they go against the Adelsons, they are going to war against the best criminal defense attorneys and investigators that the state of Florida has. Okay, I think everything you are saying is accurate. However, I just want to put some context into this. Now, it was not until 2016 uh, when Garcia, McBanawa, and Rivera were arrested, okay? Specifically, Catherine McBanawa, she's not arrested until September, October of 2016. Georgia Kappelman, the prosecutor in this case, the, the lead prosecutor, she gave an interview and she was basically saying, listen, we're waiting and waiting because all we wanted was McBanawa to flip on Charlie Adelson. The strongest evidence in this case is against Charlie Adelson. Uh, the prosecution's theory is that Donna Adelson was behind the whole thing. Donna, the, the mom, thank you. The mom wanted uh, Markel to be gone and at some point uh, employed Charlie Adelson, Charlie Adelson was saying, hey, you know, I have this girlfriend and she has some connections. So let me see what I can do. And there is a significant money trail between Charlie Adelson and Catherine McBanawa 
prior to the murder as well as after the murder. Let me let me point this out, and this is why I'm a little upset with prosecutors here because I believe that uh, that Charlie Adelson should be, should be tried in the same case because all the evidence that you are presenting to try to prosecute uh, Katie McManawa is the same exact evidence you would use against Charlie Adelson. That is correct. It's the same case. In- so if it's good enough for her, it's good enough for him. Let me tell you something. This is not, I just want to be clear. This is not about at fault of the Tallahassee Police Department. In fact, when the Tallahassee Police Department were ready to issue arrest warrants, they asked for four. They asked for McBanawa, Garcia, Rivera, and Charlie Adelson. It is the prosecution. Yeah. And the prosecutor at the time, his name is Willie Meggs. He's no longer there, which is also confounding because, you know, he said, oh, there's not enough against Charlie Adelson. And Georgia Kappelman, who was the prosecutor then and still is, she said, okay, that's fine. We, we're going to get McBanawa to flip. She has not. However, uh, you know, there's still circumstantial evidence is enough to convict. You've seen it all the time. I've seen it all the time. There is no reason they need McBanawa to flip. But uh, there was a uh, a conflict there between the police department and the prosecution's office. What I don't understand now is there is a new head DA in that office. Why they haven't prosecuted Charlie Adelson and added him to this, I have no idea. Yeah. Here's the, and again, I get back to this. It's the same exact case because the connection is between Charlie Adelson, right? And, and Katie McManawa. So that's the connection. So if you're trying her, you can try him. And as a prosecutor, I think that's actually a stronger case because you put them both at the defense defendant's table. And if they want to point the finger at each other, let them, the jury will convict both of them. Now that you have um, by your own choice, severed these cases. And if you ever do uh, get the uh, courage to try Charlie Adelson and go against a high-powered defense team and investigation team, if you ever uh, you know get the courage to do that, now all of a sudden Charlie Adelson is going to point the finger at other people. And, and, and there's going to be all these uh, potentially convicted felons coming in and testifying. And it makes the case— Like a free-for-all. I- I, I think it makes the case dirtier. Well, actually, speaking of convicted felon testifying, thank you for another segue, my friend. Uh, Louis Rivera, who I I thought he was great, Louis Rivera, he testified for the prosecution. Let's take a listen to that. Of course, he had jumped off, jumped out of the car and went around, went to the driver's side and shot him. He shot Mr. Markell? Yes, ma'am. How many times? Twice. Did you actually see Mr. Garcia shoot Mr. Markell? Of course. So that was Louis Rivera. Can I just he point got, this out? Isn't yeah. it funny how the cooperating co-defendants are never the ones who pull the trigger? It's always the other guy. It was no, it wasn't they always minimize hey, too much. Hey, I don't find him credible. Hey, what? King Tato? He's a Latin king. Okay, He's you know king what? Tato Listen to me. from the Latin. Let me kings. tell you something. One of my favorite clients that I still keep in touch with, his mom brings me Christmas gifts every year, is a Latin king. He's he's like the most wonderful, respectful. Absolutely. Despite is- the fact that he's doing uh, two back-to-back uh, life sentences for murder, it doesn't take away from the fact that he's a very polite young man. It, it, and and the, not mutually Love exclusive. Him. Absolutely. Love him. So I thought but Minimization. Tato, I hate the minimization. I don't well, you like know what? that. Excuse me. I don't care. I want the truth. Because you know what? King Tato got a deal. He came in and testified. And that is too bad for Magbanoa and Garcia because they should have tried to take a deal to or do something.
Sure. And he got a great deal. What was it like 19 yeah. years? Okay. So, so well, he actually was doing a 12 year sentence with the feds and then he got seven added on to that. So it's a great deal. Se- so, <laughs> yeah, it's like a free crime is what it is. Yeah. It's well, like a free murder. Well, pretty much. Do three, get the fourth yeah. free. I don't know. I mean, this is what they, this is their gig. This right. is what they do. Right. So, so, I, the, the, okay. So the point is this as we sit here now, because the big question is why aren't those who hired being prosecuted. Now, as we see this trial unfold, perhaps it is because Catherine McBanawa wasn't scared enough. And when you see, there have been a flurry of phone calls because the prosecution, I'm sorry, not the prosecution, the, the Tallahassee Police Department, they went to a judge, got an authorization, and wiretapped Charlie Adelson's phone in April of 2016. This was far before these arrests were made. So Charlie Adelson was the initial target in this case. I don't think Catherine McBanawa, I don't know, I'm sure her lawyers went through all the evidence, but now this flurry of phone calls, that's being introduced into evidence. She hears those calls. They're implicating her. That's number one. Number two, you have Rivera come out and testify against Garcia and her. Number three, there is also evidence uh, through Rivera and other witnesses that Rivera and McBanawa were also directly connected. So it's not like Rivera is just connected to Garcia. Rivera is connected to both of them. This could change, right? I mean, do you think that Meg Banawa could still flip? I mean, it's not over. Yeah, I, I think she could. And, and But again, as a prosecutor, I would be charge, uh, trying them all together right now. But One I'm telling you, something big is... trial. Let them listen, point their fingers at no, each other. listen, listen. And seek the death penalty. Because I believe in, in, a, in a murder-for-hire case, the person who is paying someone to take the life of someone else is the most culpable totally of on board. all the parties involved. I would involved. be totally on board with the death penalty for Donna and Charlie, 100%. But I'm telling you, I really want to defend Georgia Kaplan and the prosecutor because I don't think it was up to her. I think she wanted to prosecute Charlie Adelson with the other three. I think it was because of her boss. And there we have it. So, uh, yeah, I, this is a nail biter. Just keep tuning in and listening. Yes, it's and we'll not over. The, it's not over. When the trial's it's, over, the story's so still not over. The it's case so, still isn't over. I love this case. Okay, so, uh, hey, if you like the podcast, because you know what, Vinny? I heard we're actually becoming an internationally recognized podcast. Really? I've, got, I've gotten word from overseas. Where? The Middle East. Was it India? And the, the, the Middle East. Your cousins? And the, con- the Middle East. People I don't know in the Middle East have it informed me okay. that they like the Court TV podcast and Asia, the continent. Okay. Which I'll, India hey, happens to be a part There's a lot of people in Asia, right? And they all listen to a lot the of, podcast. A lot of potential listeners in Asia. And they the Middle East. Folks there. Hey, and by the way, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, you're like, hey, I want to watch that trial. Yes. Well, it's on Court TV. And here's something that people may or may not know. You may already have Court TV and not know it. What? Yes. And, and, and the reason being... You, you, you set up your, your uh, digital antenna and you, you, uh, and you start watching the channels. But unless you are re-scanning that antenna, you may not... Rescan. Yeah. Because what it does, is it, it scans the airwaves to find all the signals that are like being sent. I feel like you make this up just to get them to no, do it. No, this is science. This is science. So our... <laughs> 
Our signal is traveling <laughs> through the airwaves since since May. What are your fingers doing right but, now? But it picks up and, and starts traveling in different parts of the country uh, at different times of the year. And the Middle East. So you need to rescan your antenna, and you may very well have court TV. So Thank you for explaining so, so that to us. please do that. Please rate, review. We are so appreciative of your listenership. Absolutely. Thanks so much. And, and, and Seema, uh, I got to go. I got to uh, go on the air. You got to go on the television. Okay. Yes. Thank you. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.